0: to Job chapter 40. Actually, you can jump back jump a page uh, to Job 42 and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, but we'll be covering uh, 40 to 42 today. This is the word of the Lord. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Let's pray. Lord, we've seen it time and time again in this book, but there is just a particular glory. About your word, that is just so compelling. It is so comforting, it's so compelling, and it is so awesome because it reflects you. So, Lord, I pray that you would show us this morning, that, Lord, you give me the unction to communicate clearly your word, and that, Lord, we would behold the Lord Jesus for who He is, and so find strength. God, we are utterly incapable of doing it on our own. So help us now by Your Spirit to see You, to behold You for who You are. Will we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The title for today is entitled, Now I See... Will you execute justice for me? Um, as I thought about this sermon, and as I thought about just a good introduction, I mean, the, th- the thing I kept coming back to was this question of, what are you most afraid of? I'm dealing right now with my son uh, in the evening. He, uh, I think we can all understand what the kind of fear that strikes you as a child uh, right now, in, in his bed at night, he'll, he'll see the shadows up on the ceiling. And he'll, he'll call me in, and he'll be like, Daddy, the, the shadows. That's what he'll always point to. And the shadows are scaring him, because the shadows represent something in him that says that, whatever that is, that's where my fear, the, the fear that I have inside of me resides. That's what he's convinced himself in his mind. And I, 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 get, I probably get annoyed in the evening. It's like 2 a.m. He's telling me about the shadows. It's like, go to bed, please. But I there's something about talking to him, though, at that time that's very, um, it's very human. It's very human, and I think we oftentimes, as we get away from childhood, we begin to think, oh, well, I'm not like that anymore. I'm not fearful in that way. But we all have experienced great fear at some point in our childhood, and I want you to think about what that is for you. What's, what's the thing in your childhood, maybe, that was most fearful for you? Maybe it's being afraid of the dark. Just that fe- the utter terror of the unknown, maybe it's fear of animals, fear of barking dogs, <laughs> it could be anything, but the experience of utter panic, the shock and horror of your worst nightmare now today we 're going to be looking at a, a chapter of of Holy scripture, two chapters that are like job's worst nightmare, and it's funny that god God. Here's a man who's suffering, he's sitting in dust and ashes, and God comes to him and says, let me tell you about this horrible nightmare, your worst possible nightmare, let me give it in horrific detail to you. And I want you, I want us to see it as, as it is today. And I want you to see, if you get nothing else from today, get this, that as we behold God's justice executed on evil, we rest in the wonder that nothing he purposes can be Stopped. We see his purposes made known in Christ's victory over the rulers and authorities. Now we're going to look, like I said, I want you to have that idea of fear in your mind as we step into this chapter. But we're stepping into a chapter that's like a courtroom scene, like we've been talking about. Starting in chapter 38, God is now coming to Job and saying, hey, Job, you've spoken. Now you talk to me. Let me question you. You've questioned me for 30-some chapters. Let me question you now. And here, here's the first thing I want you to see. He's, he starts with the classic courtroom. Please proceed. Please proceed, Job. Will you challenge me? That's what he asks. And just so you know, there's, there's notes in the back, so if you, if you don't have those, they're also up on the screen. Here's a, here's a scene where Job, Job has been demanding justice from God, and now God's going to respond to him. Now, I want to remind you, as we've talked, and I've said it a hundred times, I'll say it a hundred times again, God has declared Job righteous at the very beginning of the book, okay? And the whole book is Job being defending the fact that he did nothing wrong, from berating from his friends, but now Job has relentlessly challenged God, saying things like, here, listen to him in chapter seven, this is what Job has said to God, he says, if I sin.'" What do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have, me, you, made, why have you made your mark? Why have I become a burden to, to you? So Job has continually said, God, this doesn't make any sense. Why am I suffering? I didn't do anything wrong. But now God's coming near. And he's saying to Job, okay, Job. Listen to what he says in verses 6 through 8. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. Or as the King James would say, gird up your loins. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? God questions Job, and he says, will you say I'm in the wrong, Job? Will you say that I, the Creator, am in the wrong right now? Will you try to show your innocence at my expense? Will you try to condemn me just so you may be seen right to others? And God tells him, dress for action. Dress for action. Gird up your loins. And it's another way of saying, basically, can you lift my gavel? Think about the, the, this courtroom scene of the judge having a gavel, and he's basically saying, hey, Job, can you lift my gavel? He says, listen to what he says again in verse 8. He says, will you put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in in the right? Dress for action, he says. Can you lift my gavel? I want you to picture with me a a judge who would work uh, in our highest court in the land, say the Supreme Court. Picture with me a judge who works there, and he comes home in the evening to his, his child and his little child comes, and he, for some reason he still has his robe on. I hope he would take his robe off from coming home from the Supreme Court. But say he comes home, and he says, the little child comes up to him and says, Daddy, 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 can I put your robes on? Or, or do you have the cool gavel thing? Can I see that? Can I hold that? And that's essentially what Job is doing here. He's bas- or, or God's challenging him the other way around. God's challenging him and saying, here, put on my robes, put on my gavel, see if you can swing it. See if you can do that. Listen to what he says in verse nine. He says, Have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Now this is comical to consider, but God's essentially asking Job, Are you strong like I am? Can you thunder with a voice, the kind of judgment voice that's needed to do justice in the in the earth? Are you strong enough to judge in my place? Is your voice able to speak the kind of authoritative commands that's needed? Obviously, the answer is no. Very much so, a resounding no. And I want you to see the just. So there's two elements. Now, Romans talks about there's two elements of God, the just and the justifier. But I want to look at the just, the judge. And he's essentially saying to Job, can you lift my gavel? Can you execute judgment on the earth? Do you have the strength like me to lift the gavel and declare judgment? No. No. The answer is an obvious, resounding no. Listen to what he says in verse, uh, jump down to verse 10. So he, he, or Verse 9, actually, chapter 40. He says, Have you an arm like God, or are you strong like God? And can you thunder a voice like his? And then he tells him, Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who's proud and abase him. He's basically saying, Look at all of my enemies, Job. Can you judge any of them? No. But then we see something, a different side here. So we see the just or the judge, but we also see the justifier, the divine warrior. So God is not just the judge. God is also the one who comes and executes his own judgment. And he's essentially asking Job, can you do that? Are you able to not just put on the judge's robe, but can you put on, oh yeah, by the way, the divine warrior? Can you lift my sword to execute judgment? No. Are you able to do this? Are you able to say, can you bring down the proud to be low like I can? Can you tread down the wicked like I can? No. And can you do what verse 13 says? Can you, as the NET says, hide them in the dust together? Can you imprison them in the grave? No. Answer is no. And then he says, verse 14, he says, then I will also acknowledge to you. Now, if he can do those things, I will also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. And it's at this point that we should stand with deep humility and reverence of the fact that we cannot do these things. Job could not do these things. God wasn't deceived. God wasn't sitting there being like, well, I I think you can actually do the thing that I'm asking you to do. The answer is hyperbole. You can't do it, okay? You cannot do the thing I'm asking you to do. He's not being sarcastic here, though. God is reorienting Job to get his eyes off of the thing he's looking at and to set his gaze on him. He's reorienting Job to consider the God of justice in this life and the hereafter. This is why when Scripture says things like Romans 12 that says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. You know why it says that ultimately? For one, we we see a pattern of the Lord Jesus, but also, we don't see like God sees. We are not able to bring vengeance and judgment in the same way that God brings it. God is pointing out something here to Job that we cannot miss and is very applicable to us. We do not see things as God sees things. We do not see things, we do not have the all-seeing perspective and the power and the strength to execute judgment and avenge ourselves, and so avenge ourselves. We are never to avenge ourselves because we see the example of the Lord Jesus, but also, as we see in Job here, because we don't have God's perspective. And that's what he's saying to Job. You can't do the thing I'm asking you to do. You can't do it. So, as we behold God's justice executed on evil, now that's the piece we're going to look at next, we can rest in the wonder that nothing he purposes can be stopped. Now, this next section is I would actually argue, and many commentators would argue too, that this is the hardest point, chapter of Job. It's the hardest chapter to, to, to interpret. It's difficult to understand what God, what God is saying here to Job. But he essentially says to him, consider these beasts. Consider these beasts. Behold them. Now, we've, we just saw last week and the week before, God parading every animal of creation, not every animal, but a lot of animals of creation, the deer, the, the lion, all these different pieces. He, he parades before Job and says, what do you think about them? And he tells him to glean wisdom. But today he's going to bring two more animals forward or beasts forward. We should ask, what's the big deal with just two more? Why would he bring just two more? Oh, oh yeah, Job, have you considered, here's these two other ones. They're really, they're really important. And it's essentially behemoth and leviathan. So I, we need to ask a question before we get to them and look at them. Basically, who are they? Who are these beasts? Are they just animals? Well, I, actually, a lot of your Bibles maybe would even have like a footnote that would say something like a hippo or a crocodile. And, and I would actually argue I don't think that's correct. I don't, I don't think that they are a hippo and a crocodile. Okay, and I'm gonna make a, a case that they're not. Uh, but uh, one, before we get into them, I want to consider just one a couple things. In the Old Testament, when the Old Testament talks about a certain event, it's very strange to get long discourses of description. Like, let me give you an example. So in the story of David and Goliath, David is described with three words. He's described as ruddy, he's described as handsome, and he's described as beautiful eyes. Okay, that's it. Those are the three things that David is described as before fighting Goliath. But Goliath, he is given a whole paragraph of description. And you may wonder, well, like, why is that? He, we, we hear how big his shield is. We hear how big his sword is. We hear how big his helmet is. We hear how big his spear is. And all of it is to show the immensity and the invincibility of Goliath. Okay? These descriptions that he gives of behemoth and Leviathan are the longest descriptions of any creature in the Old Testament. I want you to think about that for a second. In all the whole Bible, we get no description, especially in the Old Testament, we get no description of a creature like these two creatures. That should be pretty striking for us, just on the front end. Just to consider, 43 verses, he tells us, this is what this creature's like. What do you think? And at the end, Job says, I was wrong, I'm sorry. So we can't just take them as, here's a hippo, here's a crocodile, they're pretty awesome. Okay, so... So here's the question. Are they animals or are they supernatural chaos or supernatural creatures? And I would argue, and I don't do this very often, I I think the literal rendering of Scripture typically is the best way to do it. But when the Scripture demands another interpretation, we should not flinch at it. Okay? Now, like I said, some Bibles have a footnote, and maybe some of your Bibles do have a footnote, that says that they're a hippo and they're a croc. Okay? I'm saying that's not correct. And here's why. So here's a couple reasons. Uh, one, one commentator, I thought it was really helpful what he said. He said, It's difficult to understand how a description of a hippo and crocodile pertains to the issue of divine justice. Okay. Pretty, pretty good point. Hey, Job, here's a hippo, here's a, here's a crocodile, that's why I'm just. That doesn't, that doesn't quite measure up. And he goes on and says, God's power and wisdom certainly would have been displayed with, with such genuinely impressive animals. If that is behemoth and leviathan, but, but divine justice is being addressed from chapters 40 to 41, not power and wisdom alone. I think that's a very helpful point. Because notice what he says again in verse 8. He says, as the NIV would say, he would say, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? So the, the topic is justice. And it just doesn't make any sense. Why would he say, hey, here's my justice here. I don't need to defend myself, but look at the hippo and the crocodile. That doesn't really make any sense. And the other reason I would say, I would argue that they're supernatural chaos or supernatural creatures, is the way the rest of Scripture talks about Leviathan. Leviathan is mentioned four times in Scripture. I, I could give you the references, but I'll just give you one. In Isaiah 27 that we saw here today, in reference to Israel being saved at a certain point, this is what he says. So, Israel, Israel is in a place of death And then we get to chapter 27, and he says, there'll be redemption. Here's what the redemption will look like, where it starts. He says, in that day, the Lord, with his hard and great strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Or we see it in Revelation. Here, I'll give you another one. Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I can give you four other instances where the word, where the name Leviathan, is used. And Leviathan simply just means in Hebrew the sea dragon, the dra- this the sea dragon in that way. I loved what another commentator said. He said we should label Behemoth and Leviathan as anti-cosmos creatures rather than chaos creatures. These creatures exist on the fringes of the ordered world. And they exist, I would argue, as God's enemies. And this is a very interesting point to bring to a man who's suffering. Hey, Job, I know you're suffering, but let me talk to you about behemoth. Hey, Job, I know you're suffering. You're sitting there in dust and ashes. Let me tell you about Leviathan. And what he's doing, slowly, is he's saying, these are the things that are my enemies. Look at how great they are. They are meant to cause within him great fear and trembling. And you know what God says? I'm going to cut their head off. The thing that you're most afraid of in your entire life, here let me give you a picture of it. Here's Leviathan, 43 chapters of it. Yeah, yeah, by, by the way, at the end of it, I'm going to cut his head off. So that's where he's going with this. I loved what Christopher Ash then again, he says this. He says, it seems that the behemoth may be the storybook embodiment of the figure of death. And the Leviathan, in biblical imagery, is the arch enemy of God, the prince of the power of evil, Satan, the God of this world, as Jesus calls him, the one who holds the power of death. So that's what I'm going to argue behemoth is. Behemoth is the storybook embodiment of death, and Leviathan is Satan himself. And if you take that interpretation, it makes sense then why he's talking about justice here. Let me put it to you like this. I, I like illustrations. --oh sorry, I like illustrations that, that help me understand the text. And as I thought about Job and his situation, one that, I, I know some children are afraid of dogs. I want you to picture like two pit bulls, okay? And, and what has happened, a common fear of children is, is I think, dogs, especially scary dogs. Uh, picture Job being like one who's sitting and has been attacked by two dogs, okay? He's been attacked now, a dog, if it, if it ever bites a child, it typically causes great fear in the child. Then from then on, the child's like, man, i have got to keep away from that, that scary animal. And what God, God's doing to Job is he's presenting him two creatures like pit bulls in that way. Job has been bitten, and now he's confused and he's hurting. And these two creatures, Behemoth and Leviathan, serve as examples of these two dogs. And the question is, I mean, I'm sure Job would be wondering, is this attack going to continue? Is, is the dog actually able to, to continue to attack me? Now I want us to consider, okay, so keep that illustration in your brain. Now I want us to look at or survey behemoth and leviathan. Jump down to behemoth. Behemoth, and it literally in, in Hebrew is just the super beast. There's not a word. Behemoth does not mean hippo in, the, in, in Hebrew. It literally means super beast. There's not, it doesn't really have any other equivalents. And the first thing we see about this super beast is its strength. And it's powerfully untamed. Listen to what he says. He said, Behold, behemoth, which I made as you made, as I made which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength in his loins, and his power in the, in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar and the sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. And you can see even there with the tail reference why we would not say this guy is a hippo. Tails don't Hippos don't have tails like a cedar. And some people say, well, look, he's a dinosaur. And I want to say, let's, let's put aside figuring out what these things are in our own creational worldview and just listen to how God describes them. His whole point, though, for Job is, hey, behemoth, he's really, really strong and a lot more strong than you. You can't touch him. And he's the first of the works. He's the first of the works of God. And it says that God's going to bring near the sword. Listen to what he says in verse 19 of chapter 40. He says, he, that is behemoth, is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. This creature is primary among the works of God. And here even in verse 19 we see that God is the one who's going to come day come one day and be able to destroy him. This creature's supremacy is over Job, but still is under God's sovereign rule. This creature Behemoth is not able to just do whatever he wishes. He is able only as far as God allows him. Here's this third piece. He's hungry he's never satisfied. Look at, jump down to verse 20 of chapter 40. He says, for the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies in the shelter, shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. Now, the mountains would have been the place where people would have lived. And for him to say that for the, for the mountains yield food for him, he's basically saying that he's consuming people in that way. He says in verse 22 to 24, he says, For his shade his shade, the lotus tree cover him, the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though the Jordan rushes against his mouth. And then he asks Job, Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Now, I want to be clear, hippos in that day would have been hunted. It wouldn't have been like they weren't able to hunt hippos. So to say this is a hippo, it doesn't make any sense. But he's what he's saying is, Job, you can't take a hold of him. You think you you may think you can take hold of him, but you can't take a hold of him. The super, this super creature is not able to be tamed by humans. This super creature that has ferociously devours things is the thing that has struck Job. It's one of the pit bulls that have come and bit Job, and he's now suffering, sitting in his bites, wondering will it ever end? And God's essentially saying is that one day, Job, though you don't have the control over it, one day I'm going to come and I'm going to cut the head off this creature. This, that creature that bit you, I realize it bit you, but I'm telling you one day I'm going to come and I'm going to snuff it out. The sovereign warrior judge will come and render his judgment on that beast. And as we behold God's justice executed on evil, we rest in the wonder that nothing he purposes can be stopped. But then we turn to Leviathan. So that's, that's behemoth. Listen, look, listen to what he says about Leviathan. And Leviathan is sim- simply the sea dragon. The sea dragon. And God asks Job, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Every time I hear him say that, ask that question, can you draw him out the fish hook? I just picture Job, like, sitting on the edge of a bridge and being like, I got one. <laughs> his pole bending, and it's like, oh, oh, my goodness, it's the Leviathan. Like, he can't fish out this creature. This creature is unparalleled, unequal in competition. And in the same way that God sends a whole paragraph def- describing Goliath, he's about to describe his archenemy in great detail. Listen to it. Listen to how he describes it. He says, Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? No. Leviathan will not plead for mercy from Job. Or, verse 4, Will he make a covenant with you to take him for for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? (laughs) You just picture like a father bringing home a little puppy to his kids. And he says, you won't do this with, with Leviathan. You will bring home many things maybe to your kids to, to play as, as, a, as a pet, but you will not bring him home. He is untamable. He is a creature who would utterly consume you. Look down in verse 6 of chapter 41. He says, will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him, remember the battle, and you will not do it again. It's like you'll touch him, but if you do, you'll remember it, and you won't ever forget it. He says in verse 9 of chapter 41, Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low, even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Do you hear that? Even as, 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 jo, as God questions Job and says, the pride of man is laid low as it looks at him even. They, they see how just utterly magnificent he is. And God says, if you can't stir him up, how much do you think you can stir me up? So then he goes on, God, God's going to go on, and he's going to give three characteristics of him. Here's the first one. He's unbeatable impenetrable. He says in verse 13 of chapter 41, who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the door of his face? Around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. You know, I was thinking about Leviathan and I think part of the reason why we're not as terrified of a situa- as a situation as this is because we live in a very secular world that doesn't think that dragons exist. We don't, we don't get terrified like Job would have been terrified because he knew, Job knew, that we live in a fantastical world. And it, God's just continuing to lay out. His teeth are terrifying. He cannot be pierced. Listen to what he says in 22. In his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. Or 30, jump down to verse 30. He says, his underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be a white-haired what he's saying there at the end is he stirs up literally white caps as he, dry, as he swims around in the ocean. So he's unbeatable. He's also unstoppable. He's supreme among humans. Listen to what he goes on. Verse 18, jump down to verse 18. He says, his sneezings flash forth lightning, and his eyes are like eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils comes." forth smoke, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. This is not an alligator. This is not a crocodile. We're talking about something bigger than Job, something bigger than even the creatures God has laid forward. And he says in verse 27 to 29, he counts iron as straw and bronze as wooden as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. For him, sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. God's laying forth his archenemy and saying, Job, you are, he is unbeatable to you. He is unstoppable to you. And at this point, there would be a moment of terror to realize there's a creature in this creation that we and us and Job cannot touch. And if we did, we would remember it very quickly. So we see then the ancient serpent, this fleeing serpent. Leviathan is unmatched by humanity, but is still only a creature. I want to say that one more time. Leviathan is unmatched for me and you. But what God's showing Job here is that he is still a creature, just like Job. In like measure to behemoth, I'm arguing Leviathan represents God's arch enemy, which would be Satan himself. And he shows three things here to Job. First is the Leviathan's a creature like him. And he says in, verse, in verse, uh, verse, 10, or verse 10, yes, that one day he's going to come and he's going to defeat the Leviathan. One day he will bring the sword to slay this evil serpent. And this is the only thing that can bring comfort to Job. The question is, though, how will God do it? How will God come and defeat Behemoth? He'll cut the head off Behemoth, and He'll cut the head off the serpent. How is He going to do it? How is God going to defi- decisively defeat His enemies? And how is God going to bring justice in all the earth? Now, we need to remember something for Job. We see over and over and over again throughout the Bible, Job, Job would, ha- would have happened in a pre-covenantal, pre-Israel context. So for God to say, I'm going to come and bring forth justice and deliverance, it does, it's not going to have the same kind of covenantal language. But he says that one day I'm going to destroy the serpent. So this is where we get to the dragon slayer. The dragon slayer. Disarming the rulers. Now in the Gospels, Jesus says, he says at one point in Mark 3, 27, that no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. So Leviathan is this creature that has had rule over this earth, and he's saying that unless one comes and pl- and binds him first, only then will he be able to come and plunder his house. So this is what the Lord Jesus was doing. He's he's coming to bind the strong man, and the strong man in the Gospels is Satan. But then we get to the cross. And we think to ourselves, well, goodness, Jesus lost. He went to the cross and he died. And, well, yeah, and he rose again, but how, how would that have anything to do with Leviathan? Listen to what Colossians, Colossians 2 says of the Lord Jesus. Now he says, he starts and he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision uncir- of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all trespasses, he basically says, you are the ones who are walking by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And you were once dead, but God has forgiven us. But how? Look at verse 14. He says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So he nailed our sins to the cross, but what did it accomplish? And here's, here's the point, what I want you to see. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Brothers and sisters, what Job heard as an echo, we see with all of its beauty. What Job heard as a distant, faint, I'm going to come and deliver everyone from the evil, we see and we have a name and a face to him. And it's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the one who disarmed the rulers and the authorities. So we think, when we think about the Leviathan being beat here, when we see all of these things laid out for, for, for Job, we need to see the Lord Jesus in all his splendor. We need to see the Lord Jesus in all his majesty coming and slaying and disarming the rulers and the authorities. So, as we behold God's justice executed on evil, we rest in the wonder that nothing He purposes can be stopped. We see His purposes made known then in Christ's victory over the rulers and the authorities. So, let's listen to Job's response. Here's Job's response to to, to the Lord's speech. And the defense rests. God has answered all of Job's questions by answering none of them. God, Job's asked a ton of questions and God's answered none of them. But what he's answered them is by declaring his justice over evil. He says in verse, verse 1, this is what Job responds with, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So he says, now I know. Now I know you can do all things. I want you to think back to that illustration of the young child being bit by a, a, a dog. And that child, as he sits, just and that's what has ultimately happened to Job here. He's sitting in his ash heap, grieving the fact he's been bit by this dog. But there's a lover of, of great fear that comes as, he, as Job considers this dog. And the only comfort that can come is that Job knows those dogs are on a leash. And they're not on some just random leash set out in some weird cosmos somewhere. God's saying, I have them on a leash. And they will only go as far as I allow them to go. Those beasts are only able to come as far as the sovereign Lord allows them to come. And this is why Job can say, now I know. Now I know you can do all things. That no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then he says in verse 3, Who is this that hides counsel? Now, this is Job quoting what the Lord has said earlier. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And he says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. He basically says, I didn't know them because they're too wonderful. I didn't know them. And Job here is reflecting upon the fact that he didn't know prior to this, what he now knows, but what Job didn't know, brothers and sisters, has been fully displayed in the cross to us. On the authority of Holy Scripture, we can stand here and look and see that one day, every evil, every atrocity, every wickedness that has ever happened, ever, God's saying, one day I'm going to come and I'm going to cut its head off every time you stood around a tomb and mourned the loss of a loved one, God's saying, I'm coming, and I'm cutting its head off. I'm coming, and I'm destroying it. You can imagine the kind of comfort that this would bring to Job. He lifts Job from his questions to look at his character. It's God's character which is able to empower hope and trust in the midst of suffering. This is what he says in verse 4 and 6 then. He finishes with this, Hear and I will speak. This is the Lord. He's quoting what God has said. Hear and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And Essentially, essentially now I see. From hearing to seeing. Job had heard many, many things about God from many different people over and over and over again in the book of Job, he'd heard that God was just, he had heard this, he had heard that, he had heard all these different things. And he's saying, I had heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now, but now he can say, now that he sees, now that God has revealed his purposes in all this, he can say, now I've seen you. And I was wrong, forgive me. I love what that Joni Erickson taught us about this. She says, if examining the sovereignty of God teaches us anything, it teaches us that real satisfaction comes not in understanding God's motives, but in understanding His character, in trusting His promises, and in leaning on Him and resting in Him as the sovereign who knows what He's doing and does all things well. Brothers and sisters, how much more so for us. Job sat here and had a very shadowy picture of the cross. We sit here beholding the glory of the cross. Let me just finish it out with this, give you an even more clear picture at the end, what we see. Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse now, what Jesus started, I want to be very clear, what he started with the cross of defeating or, or disarming the rulers and the authorities, he's coming to judge. Listen to what he says, uh, what, listen to what John says in verse 11. The one siti- sitting on it, that's the throne, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, the name by which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And it's at that moment that we begin to see this is God's plan. This is what he's doing. He's coming, and he's going to defeat death, and he's going to defeat the the evil one. And then you jump down to Revelation 20.10, it says, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophets were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. If you have ever suffered in any capacity, or ever will suffer, to know that one day death will literally have its head cut off, that not only death will have its head cut off, but every evil that has ever took place in that way will also have its head cut off. And it's for all those who are with, with the Lord Jesus on his side, in his battle. So I hope this is comforting for you. Uh, and I know, I, I know for anyone, like I said, who's suffered in any capacity, these, these words are comforting. To know that we have a God who doesn't answer every question we may have, but he answers it ultimately by saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring forth justice. So let's pray. I want us to pray now, uh, spend just a minute of reflection, and then I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. So just take a minute and reflect on what we've heard this morning.